This is episode 290 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are, What Happens When Your Money Is Worthless? Living with a Devalued Currency? And Natural Medicines for Wounds and Cuts, 10 Remedies You Can Make at Home. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 290. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, if you are new, if you're a new listener, I'd welcome you to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast network, and that way you never miss a new episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, our first article comes to us from theorganicprepper.com, and Daisy uh, has been putting out some articles uh, written by uh, a guy named Jose who lived in Venezuela, and actually his family, uh, he was working to get his family out of Venezuela as well but is just talking a little bit about what's going on over there because he still has family and is still very well connected and giving us in America some of the insights into what you know people are going through over there. And so I always think this is very interesting because you know Venezuela up until uh, a few years ago was a very thriving country. I mean it was there's no reason why they should be where they are. It's the, the tyrannical government over there, I mean, of course, the, the people who have money, they're living like, you know, they're not experiencing any pain whatsoever. It's the common everyday people who are experiencing lots of pain, who are, you know, people that are dying. Uh, there was reports of uh, professional women, women who have, you know, advanced degrees, having to prostitute themselves to be able to make enough money to feed their family and all different kinds of things out there. I mean, people just dying because... Medicines you normally would find in any clinic here in America, you can't find in any hospitals over there. And it just goes on and on and on. And, we, you know, those of us in the preparedness community that were monitoring it for a while, we kind of started seeing the issues. You know, we started seeing the not having diapers and the reports of not having diapers and then not having feminine hygiene products and then toilet paper. And then it kind of just started to really spiral. And uh, there's been. Uh, articles written. I know Daisy has written an article. I've written an article. Other people have written articles about how bad it is over there. And you know, you don't even have to go to preparedness articles or websites to to really see how bad it is. You just go and start googling, and you will see some uh, just some bad stuff that's going on. And so uh, I always think that it's it's helpful because you get an idea of how people will respond, how government's going to respond. And what kinds of things you can you could possibly expect. Now, Venezuela is different than America. There's going to be some differences there. But, you know, human nature is human nature. And so you get some ideas there. So let's go ahead and jump right into this one. Like I said, coming to us from theorganicprepper.com. What happens when your money is worthless? Living with a devalued currency. And guys, just right before I get started, I want to just let you know that, you know, English, I believe, is Jose's. I think that's his name, Jose's. Uh, second language, right? So there are sometimes, just like when I read an article that Selko has uh, written, there's going to be some times where the English is not complete. I try to fix that sometimes. 
but uh, it's just not going to come out right. So, so just bear with me on those uh, as, you're, as you're listening. All right, here we go. This is one of the most important and valued articles to help you prepare. I think it could be useful based on our experience with the economic collapse and its effects on the currency. Let me tell you what life is really like when your country has a devalued currency that is nearly worthless. How do you buy things with devalued currency? These last few days, I was asked by a fellow prepper overseas how our internal trading with such a devalued currency was going on. He asked if we used silver coins in bartering. I answered him that we used mostly U.S. dollars and euros for large transactions like vehicles, land, and housing, as far as I know. But the reason people are mostly selling is that they are desperate to get out of the country, and the wealth they have accumulated in previous years vanishes with the bad deals they seem forced to accept. On the other hand, for day-to-day payments, bolivars are still used, but the prices go up, always up, by the way depending on the black market dollar price. This is, though, a perfect evidence that this black market dollar is controlled by the government. Look at the evaluation price and you will find it stable just before any important election, political campaigns, and such. This is no surprise. Those who benefit the most from this black market are those companies, or quote-unquote companies, that aligned with the dollar river, and nowadays that stream is getting dry. I received very bad news for those still working in the oil industry, so you can understand what is in store for the employees. I have to explain some background first. As part of our monthly payment, we received a savings incentive. The company retained the 12.5% of our salary in their accounts until the end of the month and provided another 12.5%. It sounds like a lot, but it is not. So by the end of the month, we had in the corporate account an additional 25%. This was one of the main benefits for the oil state workers, and that helped to deal with the high performance demands by the industry. This money, during better times, was kept there until the end of the year for a new car or starting a side business, some fancy vacations and stuff. However, I never used it for traveling overseas, but invested in land, some prepping gear and equipment, assisting my parents and my wife's family, and short family trips from time to time to the beach or my folks' place and such. We had something like your, and I, I think he wanted to say 401k here, but it says 704k, but I'm not sure there. Uh, so we have something like your 704k, again, could be 401, that could be retrieved from the corporate accounts to our payroll bank account. This is supposedly was for the retirement of the employees. The economy tanks so fast that this is worthless now. In one of the speeches a few days ago, the new cryptocurrency, and that's in quotation marks, that is not such, the Petro, is going to substitute the national currency in the savings additions for the employees. My friends that still remain working there told that it was going to be an option at first. But we all know that this is just a way to impose the Petro on the people and inject it in the national economy despite the U.S. sanctioning. Add to this the fact that most of the workers have no idea how to trade with it nor how to exchange it for food as they used to do with the savings incentive. See my point? They cut off the employee revenue and give them a worthless crypto that is useless. How is a 58-year-old secretary going to buy food 
for example, with other computer skills and using the social networks, the emails, and word processor. Even worse, they are forcing the employees to accept a currency that is prohibited by the U.S. financial authorities. They will be subject to the sanctioning automatically, completely unwilling to trade with that crypto. What concerns me the most is that the presidential speech announced that everyone who wants to sell their properties will have to do it in cryptocurrency. I have the audio file to prove it. This is nothing more than the imposition of the convertible Cuban peso. The hard currencies for the elites, the U.S. dollars and euros, and the garbage currencies that they work so hard to destroy for the ignorant and the starving masses. And so when I say crypto here, guys, I believe he's talking about a crypto that is a cryptocurrency that is being uh, distributed by the Venezuelan government. So this is not something that like Bitcoin that people are mining. This is something that's coming out from the Venezuela government. And so it's just it's just junk. Everyone's realizing that it's just, uh, you know, it's a facade trying to uh, trying to make it seem like it's something better than it really is. All right. So let's continue on. The dangers of alternative trade. It is unlikely to see someone paying with silver coins, as far as I am aware. Bartering, sure, but that is mostly in the rural communities. In the cities, bartering is not common. There are some brave initiatives to start paying employees with a dozen eggs a week, additional to the salary as an incentive. I have seen it in the newspaper ads. Okay, okay, so just can you get that? I'm just grasp that just just for a second, right? The incentive to work or to you know to do your job is going to be getting paid with a dozen eggs, right? That's going to be like a little bonus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? And then those people that have chickens or the ability to uh, you know you have your own flock. I mean, how crazy is that? This said, I have seen real bargains in collectible coins, some silver one ounce coins memorabilia of our independence called doblones, commonly found here, which means people have used them as wealth storage. The problem is that if you need to buy food with devaluated currency, perhaps you won't get as much as you need. The currency will be valued by your seller. However, I am sure that if this becomes much more common in the communities far away from the major cities, some sort of local economy will soon be in place. Some nuts are trying to impose an alternative currency named Elorza. You may want to Google search it in a frontier town with the same name in the Apure state. This is, besides being illegal, is delusional. Years ago, I bought a couple of doblones that were not cased. The following year, I needed cash and wanted to sell them at the silver spot price with a plus. But the buyer that, conduct, that contacted me did not want to pay the fair price even though the silver was down about $2 under the original price I paid for. So I went to a jeweler and could sell them there. This means that they could be used as currency, but it depends on the culture of the society where they will accept it or not. The total of those doblones is 20000 so their value should increase every year. There are some other commemorative coins, but people are negotiating them in dollars because most of the people want to leave the country. There has been a place in a major city where you're, you barter or exchange your goods for something else that you may need, but criminals made impossible to keep this kind of flea market in public places. I have received alarming reports from friends in the coastal fishing towns. The collectivos, or the gangs, are now forcing the small fishermen to sell them their catch of the day at gunpoint, AR-15s at the shoulder and all. 
Then they sell the fish to the people at three times the price they pay the fishermen. The National Guard and police do not get involved. They just receive their fees, milk crates filled with devalued bills. The source of this information is highly trusted, so I can write about this with confidence. It was a friend of mine, a former co-worker, who was there and saw everything from his car. His parents live in this coastal city called Kumana. He was going to buy, but after that, he decided to go to a supermarket. The beach market, where people used to buy fresh at lower prices, is no longer secure. My father has been working over 25 years as a repairman for electrical farm equipment. Pumps, mill engines, alternators, generators, that kind of stuff. He has been lately charging his customers and receiving staples and supplies. Corn flour, pasta, rice, even pork meat, poultry, cheese, eggs, and such. When customers don't have a way to pay, he has also made repairs and received as payment lots of old, worn, used spare parts that he rebuilds whenever he finds some idle time. Once the parts are fully functional, he trades or sells them. He is a smart trader and always gets an edge on his deals. What the customers see is junk. He knows that someone else will need it once it is repaired, and he has a good network. Almost every day, someone knocks at his door looking for spare parts. He has adapted all kinds of equipment, even upgrading with modern, efficient components or simplifying some complex control systems. He often gets the parts he has removed as part of his payment, and sometimes the clients are so happy and satisfied with their equipment being up and working again that they just give the parts away to him. So he has always had so he always has a lot of spares in his small workshop at home and a captive market for this. My brother has been learning from him and he is slowly gaining the needed skills to keep the family business running. Again, where you know some of the some of the bartering is, is being done again in he said in the rural rural communities. Um, he talked a little bit about uh, maybe silver, if it takes off in the rural communities, eventually it will uh, start taking place in the cities. But then I guess the big one here is that there are skills that people have and they're able to trade it and repair things. I mean, that's something that we value in the preparedness community is being able to uh, work with our hands and being able to fix things. And uh, especially when, you know, right now it's easy, right? Uh, you're able something breaks and you can go to you know to Walmart or Target or you know any any big store and go buy what you want and a lot of the times it's easier to replace but there might be a time where it's not cheaper to replace it's cheaper to fix and so definitely having the the skills basic skills to just look at something and figure it out having soldering skills and and uh, just being able to having the tools to be able to take something apart and put it back together again and get it working. How valuable is that? And so his dad is being paid in, in, in food. I mean, things that they can really use. And then at that, uh, people know that he's capable of doing this. So they're coming to him and asking him for, for help in doing all this stuff. So I think that's very, very uh, important and very um very valuable in this type of situation. And uh, if you got that last paragraph there that his brother uh, has started working with his dad and started uh, understanding you know, how to fix things and is learning how to do those kinds of things because there's value in that because he, he can see that his father is getting some kind of pay or at least able to provide for his family. So important, uh, important concept there to, to grasp. All right, so uh, let's move on. Suggestions for preparing for a time when your currency has no value. I would suggest that small, close communities who are self-reliant, 
oriented, start working on a plan with some guidelines in the macro aspect of the economy. Which coins would be accepted based on their precious metal content? What about electronic devices like thumb drives, SDs, solar panels? Think about everything that could have an intrinsic bartering value. Yes, drinkable alcohol is one of the best currencies you could stockpile. Even better if you know how to produce it. I have known that our local beer factory in my former town is producing pumpkin and tapioca beer. Is that great or what? That just does not sound interesting to me at all. (laughs) Pumpkin and tapioca beer. Um, All right, moving on. Accumulation of some cash is good, even if it is devalued currency. It saved my sorry backside to be able to leave at the best possible time. But without the needed knowledge, skills, and intuition about where things were really going, it would have been much more difficult. Without the support of a vibrant community, survival will be much, much harder. This is one of my final deductions. This is what I have come with after witnessing how dispersed are my people and how they don't support each other. Thanks for your support to the wonderful worldwide prepper community. Stay safe. And so just a little note, I think Jose had left the country to try to find work and prepare for his wife and his family to come over. And so there's just a little note here at the end. Jose's wife and children have their plane tickets and are at last on their way out of Venezuela to join them. He is extremely grateful to those who have offered support and good wishes. All right, so uh, really quick here, going up to his suggestions. I don't know how you can really set up a community unless you're in a real small town community and, and people are already geared towards that uh, you know, the, that ability to barter, right? And that's already a propensity in everyone that that's something that's valued. I think what if you're preparing for a situation like this, going back to the things that are that that could be used for barter, I think that's important, right? Thinking about those types of things. And then again, I'm going to go back to the father thing here and having the tools and having the ability to do some of those things where you're able to fix things, where you're able to take care of things, where you're able to come in. So you think about the things that people need. I mean, the father is, you know, electricity, alternators, generators, um, mills, you know, if, if you had solar panels and a way to charge batteries, I think that would be very valuable and, and a great trade item, um, being able to charge things that people need. Um, you know, right now, I think electricity is still uh, okay for right now, but I think eventually it is going to start to, to falter. And we, we read about that uh, recently. And so uh, as people have left, because there's a lot, of, a lot of people that have the means are leaving Venezuela. And that means that a lot of the people that know how to run the grid are leaving and so kind of leaving people leaving those that are they're they're taking care of the grid high and dry you know at some point things are going to start breaking down to where they can't be repaired because no one knows how to do them uh the government's going to have to bring in people specifically to be able to do that and uh you know who's, who's going to really want to be paid uh you know with government government money uh, unless they're able to pay in dollars which the government could do that because they are you know they they are stocking up uh, euros and, and, and dollars and stuff like that, as the article said. So uh, one of those things to kind of keep in the back of your mind and really, you know, now is the time to start building those skills. Now is the time to start having skills that you can use and start applying those things. So yeah, I, I think it's very important to have those skills. You start building those skills where you can start repairing things and fixing things and things that people really need I think that would be valuable, and having the tools to be able to to uh, to work those uh, 
uh, you know, to, to find those jobs and you start small and start, you know, maybe it's a, maybe you don't even have the skill of being able to repair things right now. Maybe you start taking some classes where you can go to the a community college and pay, you know, like 150 bucks and take a semester class on small engine repair. You know, how valuable would that be? I and mean, you can start doing small engine repair on the side and start, you know, or people are always giving away and just like, hey, I've got a lawnmower that's not working anymore, you know? And a lot of the times it is very fixable, something that you can fix and then turn around and sell. And so you're, you're gaining valuable skills to, to be able to fix and repair things and then maybe making a few bucks on the side, you know, definitely, definitely uh, something to, to think about there. And so uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about that here in the future. So again, guys, that's over at theorganicprepper.com. And like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And so you can go straight to it and uh, maybe read it just a little bit uh, slower if you like. And uh, think a little bit about how uh, this would affect you and, and what maybe you need to do to uh, better your financial situation. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. Our next article comes to us from survivalpedia.com. And this article, I think you're going to enjoy it. It's natural medicine for wounds and cuts, 10 remedies you can make at home. And when I was uh, reading uh, or getting ready to or preparing this one for the podcast, I was remembering, I mean, I always go back to this. It was one of the reason why my wife got on board in prepping. And it was during the summertime and we were watching After Armageddon. And it, it, it's a docudrama, but it follows a family. Uh, you know, what happens after a big pandemic and it just, it just kind of destroys, uh, you know, the United States basically. And uh, it gets to the end and the, the husband, he winds up getting a little cut and he winds up dying of an infection. And so the thing is, is that there there were plenty of things that he could have used if he just would have known about them. Uh, but so many people don't know. But here you can know because we're going to talk about some of these things right here. So let's go ahead and get right into this. There's going to be 10 things that we're going to talk about. And uh, we're going to start from or at least the article starts from more generic and uh, or you know more like single use type stuff and it gets to things that are are definitely very valuable towards the end of the article so uh and he he mentions this as as he's going here in the article so let's go ahead and start reading natural medicine for wounds and cuts 10 remedies you can make at home whether you are out in the wild while bugging out or simply at home looking to refine and improve your survival skills one of the most important types of gear you need and should have an abundance of is medicine If society were to collapse, manufacturing of clinical medical supplies would come to a grinding halt. That is why it is important to have a backup plan in case that ever happens. However, it is important to recognize what medical supplies are the most valuable. Since cuts and scrapes and other open wounds are the most common type injuries you are liable to deal with, it is vital you understand how to use the things you can find at home to make the various medicines necessary to prevent those injuries from becoming something more serious. In this article, we will cover 10 remedies you can make at home used to treat open wounds. Number one is eggs. This may seem like an odd one, but it turns out that eggs are far are for far more than simply eating. Aside from the fact that the shell itself has a wide variety of uses, the membrane inside of the shell can be used in the treatment of minor scrapes and wounds. Specifically, the membrane of an egg can be used as an all-natural bandage of sorts. Keep in mind, unless you are raising ostriches, you are unlikely to be able to use this method to dress a wound of any notable size. 
but for minor cuts and scrapes, an egg membrane can be extremely effective. Arguably, one of the best things about using an egg membrane as an all-natural bandage is that you do not need to tie it off or use any type of adhesive to get it to stick. The naturally sticky structure of the egg membrane will adhere to itself and stay put even through mild use. Considering chickens are an excellent type of livestock to raise for survival purposes, you should already have plenty of eggs at your disposal. It is important to note that eggs can carry salmonella, so you shouldn't you should be careful when using this remedy. However, the risk of this will depend primarily on your hens laying the eggs. The type of salmonella that is transferred to chicken eggs is harmless to chickens. Still, it is carried by rats. So being able to keep your chickens separated from rats can significantly reduce the risk. Number two, spider webs. This is another natural home remedy that seeks to supplement or potentially replace man-made bandages. But this natural remedy is actually surprisingly effective and robust among a number of different criteria. It is worth noting that spider webs, combined with some of the other treatments on this list, have been used for treating wounds for thousands of years, including by the Romans and Greeks on the battlefield. In terms of serving as a bandage, the benefits of spider webs should be fairly apparent, especially if you have ever tried to get a spider web off of you. The naturally sticky substance technically begins as a liquid silk and only dries upon contact with the air. That allows you to dress a wound without needing to tie anything down or apply a secondary adhesive. Another benefit of spiderwebs is that they are both naturally antifungal and antiseptic. While this, not, this is not actually a substitute for properly washing out the wound in question, the spider silk will help prevent any bacteria or other organisms from in infiltrating the wound while it heals. To be fair, the most difficult part of this natural home remedy is often finding enough spider webs to serve as an effective bandage for all but the most minor of wounds. Number three is tea bags. Tea bags are an interesting home remedy for wounds because they can work in a couple of ways. First and foremost, all types of tea bags offer benefits as a natural home remedy for treating open wounds. However, depending on the type of tea used, you may actually be able to eke out a few more benefits along the way. That said, it is important to remember that the use of tea bags in the treatment of wounds should be used with damp tea bags, not steeped. For, from a more general perspective, tea bags are excellent coagulants. Essentially, they serve to help stop the bleeding in the first place, though they are not effective as replacements for bandages despite the implications their constriction may suggest. Still, by holding the teabag on the wound for about 10 minutes, you should see the bleeding stop. If you use green teabags, you should see even more pronounced benefits. This is because green tea has a type of compound called catechins. Catechins are noted for being antibiotic and are especially effective against bacteria, though they do show some benefit towards inhibiting viral infections as well. All of the effects of tea bags, regardless of the type, are most prominently used for oral wounds where they are suggested for use after a tooth extraction. White vinegar. We will be taking a turn from our prior natural home remedies for wounds with the inclusion of white vinegar. Make no mistake, this is an especially effective substance for use with treating wounds, but it obviously cannot be used as a bandage. Instead, white vinegar serves a couple of other functions that are just as important for the treatment of wounds, stop the bleeding, and antiseptic. 
In terms of stopping the wound bleeding, white vinegar works a bit differently than many of the other natural home remedies on our list. Instead of providing a clotting agent or simply absorbing the blood and forming a barrier, the white vinegar will actually force the severed arteries that are bleeding to constrict. When combined with a coagulant and absorbent on our list, this can be incredibly effective at helping even serious wounds close relatively quickly. As an added bonus, the white vinegar will also serve as a fairly effective antiseptic too. The best part about this effect is that it occurs concurrently with the arterial constriction. Basically, white vinegar is a type of acid, acetic acid in particular. The acid helps kill any bacteria or other living organisms that would otherwise form or be drawn to the open wound. Though, you should be prepared as white vinegar is known to sting when applied to an open wound. Tea tree oil. This is number five. Tea tree oil is an incredibly effective natural home remedy for a wide variety of topical benefits, including but not nearly limited to wound care. In fact, tea tree oil has been used for thousands of years by the indigenous tribes of Australia to treat a wide variety of skin conditions as well as for treating wounds. This natural home remedy can even be included in oral medicines to provide further benefits beyond topical applications. For the purpose of treating open wounds, though, it is worth noting that this home remedy could potentially be difficult to come by during a social collapse. As such, it is recommended that you make it a point to develop a solid store of tea tree oil for just such a potentiality. Thankfully, tea tree oil can be stored for extended periods of time without expiring, though the natural breakdown of all compounds will mean that the effects may be less pronounced. Regardless, tea tree oil is another one of those natural home remedies for open wounds that provides multiple benefits with more than justify its inclusion in your limited stores. This substance can serve as a topical analgesic, antibacterial, antifungal, antiparasitic, antiviral, antimicrobial, antiseptic, and anti-inflammatory. That is a veritable laundry list of benefits that simply require a light dilution of the oil and dabbed application of the solution two to three times per day. All right, guys, let me just stop really quick and talk a little bit about tea tree oil because I do think you should get some. So uh, a while back, I did have, because of all, you know, because of Prepper website and we, my wife and I do believe in essential oils, um, I, I did buy, you know, a, a nice little supply of tea tree. And so I developed developed a little, you know, like fungal fungus on my toe or whatever. And I remember going to the doctor and the doctor saying something, you know, I was going for something else. I can't remember what it was, but I brought up the toe and he said, let's, let's clear up what we're, what we have right now. I think it was, uh, uh, I don't know, respiratory infection or something like that. And he said, let's, let's deal with this first. And then I'll give you some medicine to put on that, uh, on that toe, on that toenail. But we're going to have to get you some blood work because we have to monitor your blood with the medicine that we're going to give you. And I'm like, what? So, I mean, like, you know, I, they have to monitor my blood. So whatever medicine they're going to give me can have an effect on my blood. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want that, you know, let me find another way. And so uh, just, you know, because of tea tree oil and I, I remember that it was antifungal, I, I looked it up and sure enough. So I started using it and I started using it in the morning uh, before I would put, so I had, the tea, tea tree oil and Q-tips where I would, uh, you know, sit down to put my shoes on in the morning before, you know, to get ready to go, go to work. 
and I put one or two drops on the Q-tip and then I just, you know, dab, you know, just really put it all over my, my toenail, right? And uh, try to get it in there underneath as much as possible and all that kind of stuff. And then I would do it at night as well. And so did it, you know, in the morning and at night, uh, you know, before I went to bed and before I went to bed, I'd put a sock on or whatever and uh, just kind of keep it that way. Now, it took, a, it took a little while. It didn't clear it up as fast as maybe the medicine that the doctor would have wanted to give me. Although sometimes some of that medicine does take a long time to do. It cleared it up. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it, it worked. And I didn't have to monitor my blood. I didn't have to go pay, you know, a, a lot of money to, uh, you know, to get my blood drawn and all of that kind of junk. And it, it just works. And so I definitely would recommend it. And, you know, I monitor, I monitor that toe every once in a while. I'm like, I don't want a fungal, you know, a fungus thing coming back. I mean, that's just gross, right? I mean, it's just not something you want. And uh, sure enough, man, it's still good. And uh, anyway, so I completely believe in the tea tree oil and uh, so many different essential oils. There's so uh, many uses for it. Definitely, if you see an essential oil article on Prepper website, that's one that you want to pick up. And then again, the uh, you know the the book that I'm always recommending to you, the one that I believe that every prepper should have. This should be like your number one book if you buy a preparedness book. Is Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy's the Survival Medicine Handbook, and uh, they, there's a, a nice section on uh, natural remedies, and so the, kind of the stuff that we're talking about here, and then also uh, a nice section, a nice chapter on essential oils, and then also a nice chapter on uh, antibiotics, like fish antibiotics, that uh, definitely you, and some of you are like new, like what in, did he just say? Uh, it's the long story, but it's the, I'll just tell you this, fish antibiotics and human antibiotics are the same exact antibiotic. And so there's a lot of information on Prepper website on that. Uh, you can go to the, the tag cloud or go to the right corner and click on uh, Prepper topics and go look up antibiotics or, you know, in fish antibiotics or antibiotics, and uh, you'll get a lot of information there. But uh, that's something that people do stock up on. All right, let's keep going because there's some really good stuff here. Number six is Yarrow. Yarrow is another one of those natural home remedies which can trace its use for open wounds back centuries and on the battlefield. In fact, it was given the nickname Battlefield Plant during the American Civil War due to its use for just this purpose. Even better, the yarrow herb is a hardy plant that can be grown in just about any climate across the U.S. as well as many other parts of the world. In terms of wound dressing, yarrow is another one of the Swiss Army knife remedies that can be used in a variety of ways. Of course, unlike some of the other more versatile remedies on our list, yarrow generally can go a bit above and beyond and provide different uses depending on how you prepare the plant. That said, there are two general forms of yarrow used for the treatment of open wounds, powders and poultices. For a poultice, you simply need to collect a fair number of the herbs and mash them up. You can use a binding agent, but it is not necessary. And the poultice is placed underneath the bandage on top of the wound. The tannins in yarrow work as powerful astringents and antibacterial. You can use powdered yarrow to stop bleeding and as an anti-inflammatory. Number seven, witch hazel. If you have not yet figured out the trend yet, the further down the list we go, the more versatile the different ingredients used for natural remedies become. With this in mind, witch hazel is a great example of this trend in action as it provides plenty of benefit for treating open wounds but also carries a fair number of other benefits as well, 
whether used topically or ingested. With witch hazel, though, you will need to determine which form you intend to use. This is because witch hazel is a common extract, which can be difficult to make on your own, but you can also use the whole plant. That said, if you know the proper boiling techniques, you can easily create your own witch hazel extract. Regardless, the other active compounds in witch hazel like flavonoids, gallic acid, and its resins are also antiseptic, anti-inflammatories, and even antiviral. Much like the yarrow herb, witch hazel contains tannins which are amazing at tackling infection as an antibacterial agent. Moreover, they are also anti-inflammatory to help reduce the swelling of the damaged tissue of the open wound. Also, the astringent quality of the tannins will help slow down bleeding. For application, the most common method is to take a cloth and dampen it in water with witch hazel extracts added to it as a somewhat diluted solution. Number 8. Turmeric Turmeric actually holds a special position on our list. Granted, it is not necessarily the absolute most versatile natural remedy we have in store for you. More on that to come. But it carries with it one of the less common benefits for treating wounds, pain relief. That is right. Turmeric acts as an analgesic for open wounds, which might seem like a bit of a luxury until you consider how this affects bleeding. Basically, one of the first things you want to do to stop bleeding is to slow the heart rate. However, pain inherently causes the heart rate to increase, which in effect makes it take longer for bleeding to stop. As a topical analgesic, turmeric can help you stop the bleeding quicker by being able to get your blood pressure control absent the pain which sends your body into a parasympathetic fight-or-flight response. Beyond the uncommon analgesic effect, turmeric also acts as an anti-inflammatory, which will also help slow the bleeding in the immediate and then aid in a quicker recovery long-term. Other long-term benefits that turmeric provides are antibacterial and antiviral qualities to keep the wound clean while it heals. The only downside to turmeric is that it is applied as a paste that must then be held in place with a bandage. Number nine is cayenne pepper. At first glance, this may seem like a terrible idea. Adding cayenne pepper to an open wound is almost certainly as bad as the wound itself, right? Actually, cayenne pepper does not cause pain because it does not interact with the nerve endings. This is in sharp contrast with ground black pepper, which can provide some legitimate benefits to open wounds as well, but does so with the expected requisite pain. It is important to note that cayenne pepper is generally applied to an open wound in a tincture. Though you can definitely apply powder to the wound directly, you simply will not necessarily get as pronounced a therapeutic benefit as you would from a tincture. Regardless, any application of cayenne pepper to the wound will need to be held in place with bandages. In terms of the benefits, cayenne pepper is a potent antibacterial and antifungal agent, so it will help keep the wound clean while it heals. On top of that, cayenne pepper can be applied to a bleeding wound to help stop the bleeding. If that is not enough, you can mix one half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper with a full 8 ounce glass of water to lower your blood pressure and further stem the flow of blood from the wound. All right, guys, let me just tell you just a little funny about this one. Um, for a while there, I was trying to take cayenne pepper in capsule form because you can buy it, you know, you can buy it at health food stores and, and you know, off of Amazon and all that kind of stuff. The problem is, is that you'll get that burning, like bad burning if you are, uh, you know, if, if you have to deal with reflux or anything like that. 
And so, you know, other people were recommending, well, you need to take it with some food. But even with food, um, it was burning bad. So I, I just couldn't take it. I just couldn't do it. But uh, anyway, that is there is some benefits to it. There is uh, a tincture that I make uh, that I got off. Of, I used to buy it. And then, you know, there was the, the actual recipe was online and started making it. And what I would do is during like cold and, and flu season, or winter time, I would just add a dropper full to uh, some tea. I need to go find that and maybe share that out with you guys because uh, it's one that you can easily make. You just need to buy uh, buy the herbs, you know, from uh, you know one of the uh, you know one of the online stores that you can you can purchase them from. All right, so let's go ahead and read the last one. Number ten is lamb's ear. Out of all the different home remedies that we have suggested, there are perhaps none as effective versatile or robust as woolly lamb's ear if you take one thing away from this article make it a point to immediately begin cultivating woolly lamb's ear in your survivalist garden today the sheer range of uses and effectiveness when treating wounds make this arguably one of the most useful natural home remedies to have on hand though native to the middle east woolly lamb's ear is a reasonably hardy flower that can be grown in most parts of the world even better Woolly lamb's ear is a perennial flower that means you should be able to cultivate it year-round, though in colder climates this flower may die back during a harsh cold snap, but the flower will return when the temperatures heats up enough to support its growth. When it comes to making bandages out of a natural resource, there are few alternatives that can match the effectiveness of this flower. First, the leaves are both soft and pliable with a natural softness due to a fur-like coating. This allows the woolly lamb's ear to remain comfortable during application, though you will still need to fasten it to the wound somehow. Still, the best benefit of this natural home remedy appears once applied as woolly lamb's ear is a natural coagulant and will help stop the bleeding from your wound. Once the wound has stopped bleeding, the woolly lamb's ear will then further help protect the wound with antibacterial, antiseptic, and anti-inflammatory properties, providing the most benefit seen from a single source on our list. You can find a more thorough examination of natural antibiotics here. 10 Powerful Natural Antibiotics for Preppers, and there's a link there. While this list is far from complete, many of these ingredients are either easy to grow or easy to obtain at your local grocery store. Some of the more notable absences that experienced preppers might note are alcohol and tobacco. While it is true that both of the materials can serve admirably in the treatment of open wounds, they are far too valuable to use for the purpose unless absolutely necessary. Another quality that some of the more savvy preppers might be aware of is the ability to add multiple remedies together to get a more potent solution for open wounds. For instance, you can take some of the ingredients used for poultices and mix them together to get a stronger acting agent. Then you can take the poultice mixture and hold it in place with either spider webs or woolly lamb's ear. All right. Great article there, I think, and especially those of you that are wanting to uh, get a little bit more you know, natural in your, in your remedies or, or be able to expand your knowledge of that. You know, definitely a lot of a lot of good stuff here. I don't know about the eggs. I, <laughs> I don't know if I would risk that one. But some of these other ones definitely. And woolly lamb's ear and uh, woolly lamb's ear and uh, yarrow. There might be two that you might want to plant. You know, you can go uh, online and find somewhere that, you know, if you can't source it locally, find somewhere that you can 
uh, find it and just plant it. Maybe you, you get a big planter and you just let it go and uh, you know see what you get. And uh, definitely, you know, might be something very, very worthwhile. If, if at anything, like he said at the very end here, if you if you don't take anything else away, uh, check out that Woolies lamb lambs ear. You know, at, at least maybe try to uh, plant a little bit of that. So definitely good stuff here. Um, again, that's over at survivalpedia.com. And again, guys, like always, I will link to them in the show notes and you can come. And uh, if you want to print off this article, you can do that and save it, you know, in your survival binder or, you know, if you're making a notebook of uh, home remedies or, you know, medical uh, medical things that you can uh, that you want to know. Uh, so definitely something that you can, can go check out. Well, guys, that's it for episode 290. I thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Hey, don't forget to sign up for the email list. When you do, you automatically get enrolled in the e-course, Building a More Self-Reliant Life. And I've just been hearing some really great feedback from that. And uh, so just really appreciate it. When you read those things and then like, hey, Todd, uh, maybe you might... Think about this, and maybe you can add this, and and uh, all really great things, and I uh, really do appreciate that, and hopefully it is a, a benefit for you uh, as well. And so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.